This is a podcast examining the lives and drives of creative thinkers. People who've turned their dreams into their career. Writers, directors, actors and public speakers, artists and musicians, fellow podcasters, and more. How does creativity work? And how can it pay the bills? This is Created By. Good to see you, man. Good to see you, dude. Thank you for like taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. So to start off, why don't you just tell me a little bit about yourself? Who are you? Uh, <laughs> who am I? Uh, I guess I'm a filmmaker, you know, um, which is weird because I've never really said that, you know. I, I don't like walk around saying that. That's not my thing. That's not even how I really intro myself. Like, it's weird. <laughs> I've made a handful of features, um, some short films, I've uh, written a number of screenplays, but primarily I consider myself a director. That's all I really wanted to do was direct films and writing is sort of the means to the end. My guest this week is Aaron Harvey. We met about 10 years ago as he was in pre-production on his first feature, and I was a young graphic designer hungry for work. I helped him assemble some pitch graphics, which turned into VFX work on the feature as it got rolling. Since then, he's stayed busy making features and we've stayed in touch, but I've never really asked how he got started. I've always loved films. You know, in high school, I was always watching movies. Um, I guess when I went to college initially, I didn't, I wasn't really seriously thinking like, you know, how do you make a movie? Who's making films? I had no idea. I lived in the middle of nowhere and Hollywood was literally the other side of, you know, America or the world. So I ended up going to college and just getting a normal degree, normal, a business degree. But when I was in school, me and my roommate were just obsessively watching films. I mean, we watched a couple movies every day. There was an independent video store right there beside campus that we would walk by on our way to our apartment class every day. And uh, the guy that basically ran the store was literally like, Tarantino who never left the video store and he had everything and he had all these really bizarre um, little sub-genres that he would like collate and you know put in the store and, and every time we go in there he'd go oh you gotta check out this movie look at this film look at this film he turned us on to all these you know obscure random foreign movies or you know or obscure American films and filmmakers so we ended up just watching tons of films through college and then when I got out I I, I, got, I got like a real again a real job um, essentially sales, I was kind of, it was more like a management job. Like I was running around selling kind of industrial siding to like, you know, the big multi like Walmart's, those big super centers and shopping centers where they build stores and everything. I did the job for literally, not even kidding, like seven, eight days and was in a conference in Atlanta, actually, I believe. And I was just, I, I was having this moment where I was driving home in my car and I was like, what am I doing, dude? I gotta get out of this. <laughs> you, you know, I see my, I saw my life kind of flashing in front of my eyes, and so I ended up quitting that job. And then over the next couple weeks, was really kind of going, what, you know, what am I doing? I'm young. I don't have a career. There's no, you know, I have nothing to really lose. Love movies. I've always been, you know, interested in the arts and in film. And then, sort of on a whim, decided that's it. I'm gonna move to LA. So it was just a spontaneous life decision? Like you kind of just spontaneously yeah. followed that passion? Yeah, I mean, 
I guess I wasn't clairvoyantly like thinking, oh, what kind of, what is this risk? I moved to LA, that's such a big deal. Like, you know, I want to make movies. I literally just didn't even think about it. And again, it was just sort of this blind love of like movies and film and, and wanting to be involved. But the vague notion of being a director and a writer was always kind of in the back of the mind. So tell me, how, what was your first step into directing? Um, I'll back it up a little bit. When I first got to LA, I ended up working with a producer who was financing this low-budget director's projects. Um, straight to DVD, you know, I mean, not great movies. I don't want to <laughs> say too much about them, but the movies weren't, were not by any means good. And so, uh, but in doing that, I was like working with them on set. The guy, the director really liked me. We're actually friends. So, you know, I don't want to knock it too bad, but I was doing everything for him. It was like post-supervising, assistant directing, you know, helping him the edit, uh, being on set, doing kind of everything. It was literally like I was thrusting the film school because he was shooting these things on like film. I mean, in weird locations, like we shot a movie on Alcatraz Island on 16 millimeter film. So it was like, wow. I sort of saw what he was doing and I was like, I could do this if given the right circumstance and you know some money and whatever and so uh what i ended up doing was basically went to the guy that was essentially paying for those movies and i was like look not to knock what you got going on but you can make at least this quality of film for like way way cheaper and he was like no no, no. doesn't think this i was like dude I, you know literally i'll bet you i i made him a, like a handshake back <laughs> he was, i was like you could make a whole feature for like less than what you're paying this director so i'm pretty sure it could you know it's kind of it's kind of brazen about it a little bit you know out of my depth but i was like again what do i have to lose you know that was always my attitude it was like what's the worst someone's gonna say no he was like well look i have you know 50 grand left of this money i've been playing with can you go make a film and i was like yeah course you know no idea what i was talking about but it was i was super opportunistic so i was like yeah of course i can so he ended up saying okay well if i give you 50 you know you gotta write something i'll make this project go make a film and bring it to me well that i was like great let's do it then that 50 turned into like 40 and then that 40 turned into like 30 and he was oh like, man then it was like i got 25 grand can you still do it and i'm like yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> that 25 grand turned into 10 grand oh my god ten thousand dollars and i was like of course, I'm great, you know, because 10,000 was like 10 million for me. I didn't care. I was like, whatever. This is, you know, 2005, something like that. So he basically gave me $10,000 to come back to film with. And me and a couple buddies just went out, ran around, and made this movie in like seven days and gave it to him. And Ryan's getting into buying it for like 30 grand. So he made 20 like right away. And they ended up doing it, putting it out. He was like, holy cow, it was great. Let, you know, let's do that again. And I was like, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> you know, that, was, that was fun, but not. I wasn't interested in the genre at the time. I didn't care about making that kind of movie. It was more like literally an experiment and almost a bet with this guy that, to show him, look, you can do something. You can do something different than the way you're doing it now. The guys over there at Lionsgate ended up actually finding out that I made it for like less than 10 grand and then came to me and asked me if I wanted to make a movie for them. And they said, you know, hey, if you write us a movie and we'll let you make it and we'll give you $250,000, but it's got to be this like, killer trucker joyride meets duel meets breakdown s kind of film and they didn't really you know know exactly what they wanted and they but they had this kind of loose idea of what they liked so i started writing that movie for them and ended up you know getting 60 pages deep and was not into it at all and so a friend of mine at the time was like hey i see you're frustrated you should stop working on it uh put it aside and write what you want to see right now 
I was like, that sounds stupid, but whatever, I'll try it. So I ended up, you know, sitting down and going, dude, if I was sitting in the theater right now, this moment in time for an hour and a half, what movie do I want to watch? And then brrr, just started writing that movie. The, the script came out in like two days, and that is what ultimately became my first film, Catch 44. So Catch 44 is, uh, it's a number of things. First of all, it's your first uh, major like feature film that you got to, to direct for like a semi-real budget, right? Uh, but it also had a pretty amazing cast that had Bruce Willis and Forrest Whitaker, um, among many others. And um, that was actually also, that was the first time we met. You reached out to yeah. me uh, on yeah. YouTube. I think you, you were looking to pitch the film, I think, and you needed some graphics. And I didn't answer because I thought it was some kind of scam or a joke because I was like, <laughs> nobody's going to reach out to me on YouTube based on my my terrible, terrible reel from back then. Uh, but then you followed up with me and I was like, oh, wow, okay, sure, why not? And yeah. so uh, we did some graphics and obviously you got the film made. Um, what was it like kind of scaling up to that level and working with a cast with so many different accolades behind them? Oh, man. <laughs> How do, how do you unpack that? Um, I mean, it, in a very broad 30,000 foot way, it was awesome. And obviously, you know, I wouldn't trade the experience for the world, but the experience of that movie was, you know, somewhat of a nightmare. You know, if I look back on it more objectively, um, you know, I, I'd written the script, like I said, literally like two days. So I hadn't really realized it or fully developed it or figured it all out. I just kind of like that word vomited. Um, you know, you have these big 10 page dialogue scenes and all this other stuff going on that I would definitely refine after the fact, but you know, the script just kind of, again, took on a life of its own. It got into uh, an agent's hand at William Morris, who ended up actually signing me because of that and some other, another couple scripts that I had written just on my own. And then it, it ended up uh, getting into the hands of Cassie and Owes, who ended up actually connecting with Randy Emmett, who basically was the financier producer, you know, the guy that made the machine move. It was, it was really kind of surreal because we started like sending it around, you know, when they were like, let's make this movie, this sounds great, we want to do this. And giving it to cast, I was like, yeah, we're not going to get these people, you know, what are you, who? You're going to send it to what? Forrest Whitaker? Come on. So they ended up, you know, sending it and it was pretty traditional. I mean, it went straight from, you know, us to the agent to them. It's total, you know, I was like the nobody, but here's a script they might like. And, you know, I got lucky because these actors, responded to it. I mean, Molly and Ackerman read it and liked it and wanted to do it. And we met and hung out and that salesman part of it came in to where I was like, hey, you know, here's what I want to do with it. I in an ideal perfect world. And she was like, great, that sounds awesome. Let's do it. And then that same thing with Forrest. I met Forrest, same thing, ding ding ding, it all worked. And so these casts just started coming in and dropping in all the project, which was bananas. Cause I mean I was like 27 at the time, I think, 26, 27, and just was like, what is going on? This is not, is this how it works? This can't be right, you know, like, yeah. and uh, ended up, we, we, we put the movie together and I, I had signed up with these guys, you know, to make the movie because their pitch to me was, you know, we'll, we'll all get in cast together and we'll, then we'll put the money together and we'll go make this movie and you can do whatever you want, we'll leave you alone, you know, creatively, and then, you know, we'll all kind of link up and post and figure it out. You know, of course, then we, get the movie put together and we started into production and it's like it couldn't have been more opposite it became a you know um i kind of think about how to say this about i don't want to be too you know down on down yeah too too factual on what happened but it was the movie had a decent budget you know considering the cast it was still lower than it probably ultimately should have been considering a lot of the like the top heavy part of the movie you know some of these guys 
even on the reduced salaries who are getting paid decent because they're huge. You know, it's Bruce Willis, it's Forrest Whitaker. These guys get huge money. You know, that brought the budget down. Then the days kept getting trimmed and trimmed and trimmed. And you know, everyone's like, "Oh, you can do it. You know, you're young. It's your first film. You got it's opportunity for you. So you get to, you know, take it in the pooper because you know everybody else needs to get theirs." And I was like. You know, by the time we ended up getting into production, I was like the only guy kind of waving the flag for the film of like, do we not care that we're like making this movie? You know, like again, just this kind of blind, naive perspective of like, well, everyone's in this to make something awesome and make a cool movie. And so it was like simultaneously, yes, super exciting to be on set and be like, this is crazy. I'm sitting here talking to Forrest Whitaker about a scene or about to shoot a movie. I'm like, that's nuts. But then also like, you know, being self-aware enough to go like, dude, this is really not the ideal way to make a movie, but I'm fortunate for the opportunity and excited that I get to do it. So it was like, you know, you're dancing with the devil to get the thing going. I believe it was Clark Gregg who said that directing your first feature is kind of like jumping out of an airplane with a parachute kit. Yeah, that's pretty apt, yeah. I mean, in this scenario, it's more like jumping out of an airplane with no parachute and someone's gonna like wing it over here and you gotta go <laughs> I know that for me, it was a pretty big step in my path, I guess you could say. Um, I'd done a lot of graphics while working for a post house and a lot of kind of like nondescript contributions to various projects. But that I, I kind of got to handle a lot of those shots by myself. And I remember just having to learn a lot along the way just to kind of keep up. It was a great learning experience. And I was really oh, you grateful. Sa you saved me. You, you saved me on the film. I mean, I, I tell people this story all the time. Because, I mean, literally on those days, we were shooting some of these shootouts like in the diner and it, you know there's a lot of like what i thought should have been practical effects with some squids and take the time just set it up and do it once or twice correctly and the line producer who was you know a nice guy you know definitely had experience but he was like oh no no computers these days you can just you just shoot it and they can just add it to the computer I'm like, that's not that's literally not how it works like i remember even on set being like what you're saying is not true but you know here i'm this you know 27 year old kid trying to tell this 55-year-old line producer who's done 30 movies, you know, how it works. And so then, of course, you know, he is always concerned about us getting through production and meeting his requirements and budget and everything else, you know, gets us through production, dumps it off on me. We go into post-production. I'm like, see, of course, this is not how it worked, as we know. And so I had no money to, prop to do it properly. You know, I mean, hello, you know how the effects world works, you know, to really hire a house and do the whole mm -hmm. thing. So, you know, that's when I reached out to you and was like, dude, you got to help me. You got to save me. I mean, I think, you know, we had whatever we had at the time, which I used to refer me and you was probably like, well, this is great. This is more money than we've made on anything else, but all, but it was so minimal and so small mm -hmm. that the amount of shots and work that you did on the film and that we ended up, you know, kind of laying off for you to handle was, was astronomical. I remember putting it all in and being like, Oh my God, dude, Aaron just saved us. It's like, <laughs> coughing in all this blood and doing all this crazy animation work that was like just well beyond what you should have been doing or any of us should have had to do in the first place. Every episode I do a little bit of a lightning round. Uh, you down <laughs> for some quick lightning round questions? Oh God, I'm terrible at these <laughs> Texting or talking? Uh, talking. Sweet or savory? Savory. Are you a morning person or a night person? Night. For sure. What's the last movie you watched? Oh my god. What is the last movie I watched? The Rover. What's the last TV show you watched? Just I just watched the Atlanta Mickey Murder Child Murder series on HBO. On a scale of one to ten, how good of a driver are you? Ten. Okay, what's your favorite snack? 
those Trader Joe's salt and pepper potato chips. Oh my God, those are so good. <laughs> yeah. Would you rather have super strength or super speed? Speed. How many spritzes of cologne is appropriate? I'll use cologne, I don't know. Would you rather ask for permission or forgiveness? Forgiveness. Of the celebrities you've worked with, who was your favorite? They've all been great in their own ways. Fickner. Fickner, all right. Gorilla was fun. You know, we had a good time. On a scale of one to 10, how good of a dancer are you? Oh, two. <laughs> how do you feel about Marvel movies? Uh, um, no thanks, I'm good. Do you talk during movies? No. Would you rather have pancakes or waffles? <sighs> pancakes. Is Stranger Things overrated? Yeah. Cats or dogs? Dogs. Hot weather or cold weather? Hot. On a scale of one to 10, how good are you at poker? Uh, one. <laughs> Finally, what is the nerdiest thing about you? Nerdiest. Ooh. Ask my wife, I don't know. <laughs>well tell me about um your your kind of your path since then i know you did uh, the neighbor and then also uh into the ashes is your most recent film mm-hmm. tell me about those processes how are those the same how are they different well let's see the, the good thing about you know catch 44 was basically i learned to do everything exactly the opposite of how i did it on that <laughs> and so i did that movie you know we didn't know i had met megan ellison um on some projects prior to that and she was involved in this one as a producer we had become friendly and so um once we got done with that movie she wanted to do her own thing i wanted we wanted to do her own thing because she you know obviously had some financing behind her and you know i was like you don't have to be sort of the slave to the system you can hold the golden scepter because of who you are and what you have so we ended up basically setting up Annapurna, what became Annapurna Pictures, right after we finished that movie. Me, her, my brother, a lawyer buddy of ours, and then another a kid who was her assistant. He now is a producer himself. That was sort of the initial Annapurna team. So we, we sort of, you know, diverted into like creating this little company, which took me away from me wanting to make movies initially. It started up and I was like, well, oh, this is great. We'll make movies within this system. and. You know, that's how we'll do it. Well, then Annapurna, you know, we got into Lawless right away, um, which was like the $35 million movie. And then once, you know, Megan and the company kind of got a taste of that, and that world and that level, it was like, oh, this is what we're doing. And next thing you know, you know, it got huge within about a year. And so I was like, this is not the machine that I'm going to be making my films in. You know, they're not, we're not going to sandwich a movie I make between Spike Jones and David O. Russell. You know, it just mm-hmm. it didn't even make sense. So, you know, Annapurna was great, but it was, I didn't come here to sit around and be part of that machine that came to make my own films for fun, just for myself, my buddies, people that like them, whatever. But I didn't want to go back and do it like I did before. The experience of it, I was like, that's, I don't want that experience again. I want to try to figure out a better way to do this. So I ended up writing a few shorts and we did, um, I ended up making three over the course of that like year and a half, just totally on the side on weekends with buddies. But it was great because I realized like, I can kind of get what I want from the paper onto the screen if, if you know, you just let me do it. it. You know, it's always a creative challenge. You're trying to figure out the hurdle to get over to get the thing you want, but without this sort of influence of money or politics or actors or all the other bullshit that doesn't really matter to the things you're trying to create. You know, I, I realized there is a seamless path to kind of get there and in turn realized that that probably also requires like a slimmer budget, you know, a, Keep more control on your end with less financial exposure is sort of the paradigm I was looking for. So 
that's when I ended up writing what became The Neighbor. <clears throat> and again, like probably too idealistically because, you know, if I think about it in retrospect, I'm like, that's not the movie that ever gets made. Like it's making some little domestic trauma, you know? But we wrote it and I guess, um, again, it was like, there was just honesty there. It was just the thing we wanted to see. It was kind of the grand experiment. Like, let me take all of the things I think are going to work and see if I can practically apply them and see what, you know, how does that come out at the end of the day? Bill Figner, you know, he read the movie. I, that was another thing. I was like, who's a 55-year-old established actor who everybody knows but isn't De Niro and needs a million dollars? You know, like, who is that Who is that guy? Just for the record, he's talking about William Fickner. If you don't know his name, I'm sure you would know his face. He's been in Heat, Armageddon, Perfect Storm, Pearl Harbor, The Longest Yard, The Dark Knight, Entourage, The Lone Ranger, the list goes on and on. I made no bones about it though. I was like, dude, this is like, there's no trailers, there's none of this crap. Like, you know, we're in a house, you're gonna be like posted up in the guest room over here while we're shooting over there. You know, there, there was no frills. But she was totally on board with it because I think he liked the script enough and understood what the role was and it was like a chance for him to really like do something interesting and carry the whole movie, you know? and then ended up, uh, you know, finding some financing and we ended up making a movie for just for cheap. And, and it ended up coming out, you know, almost exactly the way I had sort of envisioned it. You know, some, obviously you're always making creative concessions as you go along, but for the most part, we are able to maintain the integrity of the film. You know, 80, 85, 90% of what we were trying to get, we kind of got. If you, you know, lean on your creative intuition and you're also making a responsible film, you know, this can happen, you know, you can do it, it can actually work. So how did that lead into Into the Ashes? I guess, so I'd written Into the Ashes, I've written, there's a couple other scripts, there's one we're pushing now, kind of all at the same time. The guy that I basically work with now, essentially a producing partner, Rob Barnum, I'd met on Catch-44. He was involved with the producers at the time. And I've worked with him since kind of the beginning. We just became friends and I realized, you know, Rob's great. He's got a lot of value. I think he thought the same with me. And so we just, it just kind of worked. So as we were finishing The Neighbor, you know, he was like, what do we, what, are, what do you got or what do you want to do? And I was like, well, you know, here's these scripts. So I'd sent him a couple, including in the Ashes. And basically um, he was talking one day to... Jack Wiggum over at CAA, who's the head of motion picture talent, um, big agent, you know, young guy, but a big agent. He's great. Jack was like, hey, you know, what are you working on? Do you have anything interesting? And I was like, well, I got this, you know, script. I can send it to you and send them into the ashes. He thought that was kind of the best one to send at the time. And we didn't really think anything of it, to be honest. I was like, yeah, okay, sure. Jack Wiggum at CAA, why are you even sending him the script? But Jack had kind of asked for it, so he gave it to him, and he ended up just loving the material. It's always it always comes back to the script. Like he really just liked script. It was like this is great, you know. What are you guys doing? And we're like, well, nothing yet. We don't have any money. We don't know exactly, you know, what the plan is, but we want to make it. And so then Jack was like, well, you know, what can I do to help? Basically, we sort of figured out between us, me and Rob, we were like, what's well, you know, he's got some interesting clients that we liked that we thought could be good for the movie that would probably be realistic. So we thought, well, let's maybe he could send him to some of the actors, uh, one of which was Luke Grimes. So we said, well, why don't you send it to Luke? He was like, oh, Luke would love this. This is kind of his thing, you know. Yeah, that's a great idea. I'll send it to Luke. So. He just sent it to Luke, you know, without a money offer, no real setup. I mean, we told him we don't have the money. We don't have the movie going yet. We don't know exactly what it is, but Luke read it. Same thing, just really responded to it. 
we ended up getting together and hanging out and it turned out he was more like this character in real life than, you know, I'd even imagine he, you know, Luke is like a 60 acre farm in Ohio where he hunts deer, you know, he's like totally kind of a Southern boy in his brain. So he just got attached to it right away, you know, which was awesome. So we started putting it together with the cast first, you know, we went to him, we went to, um, you know, I started putting in some of my buddies who I knew, who I thought could be great for some of the support roles, Brady Smith, who was in it, who, you know, so we started filling it out broader. And then, uh, you know, I think we went to Frank Grillo after that. Then I think we said to Jack, you know, we need a couple bigger people in this to sort of help us put it together. Jack was like, great, so good. So we sent it to Frank. Frank read it, same thing. <laughs> ended up just meeting with Grillo, hanging out. We just got along really well. Frank ended up actually putting up being the conduit to James Badgedale, which was funny because James is on a list of mine forever. He's just one of these actors that I just love. I mentioned to Frank, we were meeting, he was like, who do, you, who do you think about for some of these other roles? And so I started giving him sort of my ideals, you know, and I was like, oh, James Badge would be perfect for this. He's like, oh, I know James. James is my buddy. Let me, you want me to text him? Let me call him. I'm going to call him right now. So he <laughs> called him up and just sent him the script directly. And Badge was like, yeah, this is great. You know, met That's with him, awesome. we hung out, had beers, and the cast just started filling out. You, uh, you mentioned before, like, you had been working in sales for, like, eight days. Mm-hmm. Do you consider yourself a good salesman? Sales loosely. Uh, yeah, you, you know, you have to be. You, you're like you're like a carnival marker. <laughs> you have to rally people and get everybody behind, you know, your vision and, and the thing you want to do. I mean, it's, it's, you know, 90% of a movie is everything except for the scripting and directing. You know, it's like getting in the room with an agent and convincing him that you're not going to fuck up his client's career or, or like, <laughs> you know, meeting an actor and explaining to them how and why and selling them on the vision and what you're trying to get at. So I don't know if, if it's naturally a salesmanship that I would have per se. It's more the gift of gab, being able to explain it well to I somebody. I think that's what being a salesman is, right? Like just... <laughs> I guess it goes hand in hand. So yeah, probably to a degree being, you know, being a salesman helps. So having had the experiences you've had and seen the things you've seen, what's your advice to people who are starting out that want to be directors? I would say you know, the, probably the biggest thing is you just have to be opportunistic. I don't think people are opportunistic enough. I think, you know, they idealize the idea of opportunity and they think they're opportunistic, but they're really not. You should sort of take any opportunity that's in front of you because no one's going to give it to you. I mean, it's slim. When you see the door opening, just a crack, do it. Don't overthink it. Don't overanalyze it. You just got to go with it and sort of figure it out as you go because, you know, <clears throat> everyone wants to think they're Scorsese in their mind and, and waiting for sort of that perfect opportunity to come along and, and catch that lightning in a bottle. But that's the, like, incredible exception to the rule. You have to just take what you can get and run with it and not sort of, again, idealize the perfect scenario because there is no perfect scenario. Even for those guys, it doesn't exist. And, and there's a huge, huge gulf between, you know, the way you think about it and the practical application of it and what you think you're going to be and who you actually become. So you have to sort of understand that idea and then make peace with that idea and then just move on your intuition and run with whatever ball is in front of you. formula for success, but I do know part of it has got to be becoming your own loudest supporter. Being proud of your distinct, one-of-a-kind voice and believing it's worth listening to. 
Selling yourself is a skill, and it's a really important one, one that requires confidence and persistence, a willingness to stand out, to face rejection. It requires bravery. I think that's one reason why I find Aaron Harvey to be so inspiring. He takes the risk. He recognizes his creative value and works hard to successfully unify others behind that value. So, I don't know about you, but from now on, I'm working on my salesmanship. If you'd like to watch any of Aaron Harvey's films, check out Catch 44, The Neighbor, and Into the Ashes on iTunes or Amazon Prime. You can see some of my handiwork mixed in there too, so some extra incentive. This podcast and its theme music are produced by me, Aaron Milas. I created this episode in Adobe Premiere and GarageBand. If you'd be interested in hearing the music from this show, let me know. I'm thinking about putting it up on Spotify or something. You can find the Created By website and social information in the episode description. I find myself most active on Instagram, so hit me up there at Created By Podcast. Finally, if you haven't already, please do let me know what you think of this show by adding a rating and review wherever you listen. Those five stars help me reach new listeners and continue to grow the podcast. Thank you again for listening. I hope you walk away each week feeling energized and inspired ready to carry on in your creative path. Next week is an exciting episode. I can't wait for you to hear it. Until then, I'm Aaron Milas. Thanks for tuning in.